Welcome to Facts Roundtable, a podcast dedicated to navigating life with food allergies across the lifespan. Presented in a welcoming format with interviews and open discussions, each episode will explore a specific topic, leaving you with the facts to know or use. Information presented via this podcast is educational and not intended to provide individual medical advice. Please consult with your personal board-certified allergist or healthcare providers for advice specific to your situation. Hi, everyone. I'm Caroline Mawasasi, and I am your host for the Fact Roundtable podcast. I am a food allergy parent, advocate, and the founder of the Grateful Foodie blog, and I am Fact's Vice President of Community Relations. We're sitting down with board-certified allergist and social media guru, Dr. Dave Stuckus, to explore how to use social media to help families discover support, lifestyle, and food allergy management tips in healthy, safe ways. Before we start today, I would just like to take a moment to thank the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology for their kind sponsorship of Facts Roundtable podcast. And please note that today's guest was not sponsored by the college or compensated in any way by the sponsor to participate in this specific podcast. Welcome, Dr. Dave, back to Facts Roundtable podcast. We absolutely love having you on the show. So thank you so much for your time today. Well, it's my pleasure. It's great to be back. I'm excited to to chat with you. Well, you always bring us such great insight and new information and actionable information. As we get started here, Dr. Dave, can you briefly share your medical background with listeners? Oh, sure. So I'm a pediatrician by training, which means I did my, my three-year residency after medical school to learn how to be a pediatrician. And then I did an extra fellowship for two years to become an allergist and immunologist. And so for the last 15 years, that's all I've done is I just you know have focused my clinical work on helping families who have various allergic conditions, which I love. Uh, I work at an academic institution. That means that in addition to treating patients, I do a lot of teaching with medical students and residents and fellows. I'm involved in research and quality improvement. And we recently just opened our brand new food allergy treatment center, which I honored to serve as the director of it. So now all I do is food allergy all day, every day, which I love. My initial love was asthma 10 years ago. I see food allergy uh, in a very similar place where we were with asthma 10 years ago. We're just now on the cusp of truly understanding these different phenotypes and types of food allergy and prognostic factors and all kinds of stuff like that. So exciting times. Very exciting. So now what do you do again at this food allergy treatment center? So you only look at treatments or do you just see patients? It's new consultations, it's follow-up visits, so we spend a lot of time getting to the proper diagnosis. And you know what's really fascinating is, you know, over the last 10 months or whatever since we opened our doors of over a thousand new consults, we've undiagnosed food allergy in about half of those visits. So, which means we just, we take the time. We spend sometimes an hour with each family walking through, well, here's why your child has these symptoms which are unrelated to food allergy. Let's help you navigate that. We do oral food challenges. We did over 700 last year, which is really the most effective and empowering way to truly understand whether somebody's actually allergic or what threshold dose they'd have to have and severity of reaction. And we change lives by doing that. We're involved in clinical research or oral immunotherapy program. Sorry, that's a mouthful. OIT <laughs> will be up and running, you know, hopefully by the time people are listening to this. That is amazing. Undiagnosing people. I love hearing that. You've changed lives right there. It's the best part of my job. Well, I, I lied. 
Oral food challenge is the best part of my job. You just see people light up, and especially when they're no longer allergic. It just changes their lives forever. But when I can undiagnose a food allergy, or I can tell you know, a breastfeeding mother who's eliminated 20 foods from her diet that you don't have to do that, there's another way here. These are really powerful connections that we have, and I, I love it. I absolutely love what I do. Oh, I still have the photo of my son when he finally could eat pizza and he could finally have dairy, him sitting in the parking lot of the doctor's office, finishing off the rest of the pizza that they had been using during the challenge. I mean, it's it was the most blissful moment for him. He was 16 years old. It is stunning. Yeah. And I can I can hear that in your voice to this day. It's It's a really powerful experience. It really is. So now let's turn to the social media side of your background. If you can talk to listeners for just a moment on how you got involved with social media and why people like me follow you on Twitter religiously. Yeah, well, I'm very humbled by that. And it truly is a privilege to be out there. But what I'm trying to do, and I've been involved in social media for about nine years now, I originally got involved to try to combat misconceptions and common myths surrounding allergies. And now I do my best to just provide evidence-based information to help people guide their decision making. I'm not giving individual medical advice. I'm trying to give you good information so that you can use that to help make your own decisions because there's a lot of bad information out there. So still, I'm, I'm combating some of the bad information. I try my best to be a positive voice. I think that you know, there's it's been this culture of fear surrounding food allergies for decades. And we know enough about food allergies now that we, we can move past that. We can help people better understand and navigate their food allergies so that they're not living in constant fear. We absolutely have recognized the, the powerful negative impact that that can have on somebody's quality of life in their daily life. So I want to do everything I possibly can to help people understand that we have a positive path forward. That's wonderful. So now diving deeper into this social media area, do you believe there is a place for social media in terms of patients and caregivers learning more about living with food allergies? Oh, absolutely. This is the world we live in. It's not going away. Everybody uses social media to some extent now, and there's tons of information out there. So I think the bad side of, of food allergies in our current state in the medical profession is a lot of people are just diagnosed with food allergy either inappropriately because of overuse of food allergy tests. You know, they're not given the right information at the time of diagnosis. So they're left to fend for themselves. Anybody who diagnoses food allergy or feels that they're qualified to do that, absolutely. It's imperative that we take the time to provide people with the right information about risks associated associated with various exposures, how to communicate with food handlers and caregivers, how to prepare for any type of allergic reaction or accidental ingestion, and how to manage that, as well as prognosis. We need to give families the tools to help navigate this, because if we don't do that, and so many people don't get that when they're diagnosed, they go online. And what do they find online? They find all the scary stuff. They find all those rare examples. And I can't impress upon your listeners enough that as humans, we live in a world where any medical condition impacts us in a bell-shaped curve, meaning most people fall in the middle part of that in regards to you know the types of symptoms they have, response to treatment, things like that. But then there's outliers on both ends, both good and bad. Oftentimes on social media, those outliers are the ones that are driving the conversation. I recommend thinking about social media like a Yelp review. Who takes the time to write a review of the restaurant they just ate at? Not the 85% of people that had a pretty good experience and they're going to go back again. You hear from the people that had the best experience of their life or the worst experience of their life. But that is not an accurate reflection of what's actually happening. 
That is so true. When I even think of just myself, I mean, again, the photo of my son with the pizza, I ran to social media and popped that right up there. You're right. That's exactly it. Or if I've had a bad experience, I'll, you know, bemoan it or look for support. And and actually just on that note with support too, do you think people can find good support on social media? And what would you suggest to someone if they were needing support, if they did maybe have a bad experience and they just need a team of people cheering them on? Yeah, I think there's good and bad to it. Good would be you find somebody that gives you that emotional and psychological support that you need because that's a necessity as parents in general, especially parents of children with food allergy or if you're living with food allergy yourself. It's nice to know that there's others out there that are going through what you're going through. So that's really important. Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. Very good advice there. For me, I personally enjoy reading about new research, and I find a lot of it on social media. I also find a lot about treatments. So how does one tell the difference between the medically vetted research or snake oil-esque treatments versus scientifically sound research and treatments? That's a great question. My favorite quote of all time is from Carl Sagan. And he said, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. If you read something that sounds too good to be true, it probably is, especially if there's no evidence to support it. If somebody says they have the cure for X, Y, or Z, they better back it up. I guarantee you, guarantee you that the top medical journals will be fighting over who gets to publish this. All of the academic societies will be begging them to come present their research. If somebody found the cure for food allergy, which nobody has to date, it's going to be out there. And then the rest of us want to learn from it. We'll be begging them to teach us what they found. So if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. If the person who's giving you information is also selling you something, that is a major conflict of interest. So keep that in mind as well. So if somebody says, this is why you need this product or this testing of these services, and oh, by the way, I can give these to you for this price, huge red flag. So be aware of that as well. And then when it comes to research, I just addressed this recently on social media. I think it was just recently there were headlines about a new trial underway for vaccines to treat peanut allergy. Well, the headlines blew this out of proportion. What actually happened was the FDA just gave approval for this company to now investigate this. But what that means is they actually have to undergo phase one, two, and three clinical trials to even show, is it safe? Is it effective? And that's going to take eight to nine years before it even gets to market. But then, of course, people are so desperate to have some cure or something to hold on to that this headline circulates. And then I feel so bad. I feel like Debbie Downer when I tell people like, hey, this is very exciting. But at the same time, this isn't going to be available anytime soon, if at all. About 75% of these, you know, they die by the time they get to market because they don't prove that they actually work or they're very safe. So thinking about what type of research it is, read past the headlines. And then lastly, something that comes out of a peer-reviewed medical journal is the highest quality of evidence. But even then, there's different levels of evidence. So case series of just a handful of people that have a condition is low quality evidence where you have like a systematic or meta-analysis that looks at all of the research on a particular topic and summarizes the findings. That's the highest quality of evidence. And that's very different than something like a poster presentation at a national academic meeting that hasn't undergone the peer review or somebody's blog post or somebody's YouTube channel or things like that. Thank you. You really kind of lifted the veil on that. I really appreciate that. That's going to help a lot of listeners. So now let's turn our attention to fellow parents, caregivers, or baby patients who are listening. It is easy to get upset over Twitter battles about hurtful comments about food allergies or posts about bad reactions or tragedy. Do you have any advice on how we can still scroll through looking for our good information, but without going down that rabbit hole or reading too much into the situation you already just mentioned, look beyond the headlines, but maybe you can give us a little more insight on how to handle this? I think we all 
will do ourselves a, a very good service if we can better understand our relationship with social media. How much time are we spending on our phones or devices? Are we just scrolling endlessly? What grabs our attention? How does it make us feel? If your use of social media makes you angry or tense or anxious, my goodness, take a break. I started this years ago. I take complete total breaks and I do this for a living. This is part of my job. Three to four times a year, I'll take a week off at a time. And that's so important for me. It refreshes me. It recharges me. I always come back with renewed energy. And especially during the pandemic, with all the doom scrolling and bad headlines, it just, it makes me feel not so good. Uh, so I recognize that and it's been hard to do and I take breaks from it. That's the first piece of advice. The second piece is if somebody posts something and it makes you feel uh, strong emotions, there's a reason for that. So trolls are really good at what they do. Trolls exist because they just want to generate an emotional response. If they got that out of you, don't feed the trolls. <laughs> so don't fuel the fire. I see these Twitter battles all the time and it's like, what are you doing? You're never going to win. Plus it doesn't matter. Look at the accounts. Most of these accounts aren't real. We have to also understand all the bots that are out there and the bot nets and all these automated generated accounts. So there's people arguing with clear bots. <laughs> and I look at this. So if it is, you know, at several letters and then nine numbers in a row, that's not a real person. If it is a real person, they are not social media savvy and you shouldn't even interact with them. So don't give these accounts any of your time. Don't let them suck your soul. Just ignore them. They'll go away. They'll move on to somebody else. Uh, so we have to recognize that as well. And I, I really can't emphasize that enough of just hopefully for your listeners, next few times you're on social media, just pay attention to how it makes you feel. Do you get enjoyment out of it? Is it giving you good information? Is it giving you good, you know, good vibes? Or do you put your phone down or your device and you're like, oh my gosh, I just, I'm in a, a terrible mood. Pay attention to your mood afterwards. Thank you for bringing that up. I've had those experiences exactly where I've been elated or I just got cranky or upset or anxious. And I think you're right. It is really important to pay attention to that, to take care of our mental health and physical health. Yeah. You know, for what it's worth, I've had some experiences where I'll post information and sometimes it goes viral or it grabs attention from the wrong crowd. And I've been the victim of sustained coordinated social media attacks for days on end from the very strong and coordinated anti-vaccine movements and, and others. And it is something to go through. The first time it was just, I mean, I was ready to walk away and, you know, they, they call my hospital, try to get me fired. They report me to the medical board. It's, it's insane. And now when it happens, I, I actually recognize it when it's happening. It doesn't bother me anymore. In fact, I say, uh, oh boy, okay. It looks like I struck a nerve, which means I'm on the right track, which is good. So it actually gives me more reinforcement. But until you go through that and appreciate it, oh boy, it is something to go through and we can't negate that. So it, it's like anything, it's like allergy, right? You can desensitize to anything. So this is the same thing with social media. That must have been situation. That really must have been something to go through that. But really fantastic how you've turned it around and actually used it to empower you. Excuse me, not all of my colleagues will do. Some of them just leave and they say, it's not worth it. Uh, I can't deal with this. And I don't blame them because it, it really is. But I have a lot of support at my institution. They help me out. Now I just send them an email and say, hey, uh, phone calls are going to start coming in in the next 24, 48 hours. Just giving you a heads up. I'm like, okay, thanks. Thanks for letting me know. And then my boss gets voicemail. I'm not joking. It like people need to find something better to do with their time. But the best was a five-minute rambling voicemail to the CEO of our hospital. This is years ago. And he shared it with me. And he's like, uh, anything I need to do about this? I'm like, nope. All par for the course, but you know, sorry, sorry, I ended up in your voicemail. <laughs> well, you know, the world is an interesting place. And speaking of, in an ideal world, what would be a healthy food allergy kind of social media day? 
hopefully one filled with support. Uh, so you know, it's not all bad. It's, it shouldn't be doom and gloom. Sometimes when you go on social media, it makes you feel like the sky is falling. So if that's all you're reading is the doom and gloom stuff on social media, please try either ignore those or, or find other accounts because the real story for most people with food allergies is one of empowerment and a positive path. And children and adolescents are going to school and, and participating in activities and playing sports and traveling, and they're not having issues. So there's really good examples out there of people and they demonstrate this. You know, people traveling the world and say, here's how I did this. And here's how I prepared ahead of time. And here are the steps that I can take. That's a good way to follow, you know, those accounts on food allergy. So just recognize again, if you're reading the doom and gloom and you start to think, oh my gosh, if you read something on social media and you think to yourself, I need to change what I'm doing for the worse and in a more restricted way, please pause because that probably doesn't apply to you. Talk to your doctor about that. Excellent advice. I know last night I saw a post on Instagram from a parent posting her daughter in Europe uh, doing study abroad. It was so empowering, so beautiful. So of course, you know, I had to type in my comment saying, please keep posting these. These are so exciting. You know, girl sitting there with this huge smile and she's starting study abroad. It was so exciting. No, that's great. And thank you for reporting that because we see those comments, right? Everybody does it. And that gives us, you know, that positive encouragement to keep going. That is it. It brings inspiration. So now, FACT relies heavily on our medical advisory board to review all our materials and data on our website. They are heavily involved with us, and we absolutely love that. We take that information, we put it on social media. So I'm super confident about the posts that come from FACT, but how do listeners zero in on other reliable media sources? Well, you know, I think we all have to learn how to critically evaluate information these days. I think there's a overall lack of critical thinking skills. And keep in mind that the people on social media or in media in general are really good at what they do in trying to grab your attention. So we have to read past the headlines. Always, always read past the headlines before you share anything. Take time to actually vet the information. So see if you can corroborate this with professional organizations or advocacy organizations. As you mentioned, your team goes through everything. And I've served this role for other advocacy organizations and professional organizations. That's what we do. We want to make sure we get it right. So those are the trusted sources. So if you read something that really is outside what everybody else is saying, second guess it. It may be correct. That absolutely may be true, but we have to take the time to vet it and make sure that it is. Thank you. Wonderful advice. So we're coming to the end of our time together. So before we wrap up, do you have anything you want to share with listeners? No, I, I thank you again for having me. I think this is great. It just goes back to sort of what we talked about of just, I think social media has so much positive to offer, but there's a lot of negative as well. And, you know, we can navigate it. There are ways to do that. But if you're having a negative relationship with it, please recognize that and try to better understand why that is and, and how you can improve upon that. Thank you. I appreciate you being here. We know you are ridiculously busy and we appreciate your time. You always bring such great knowledge and information to listeners and listeners in the show notes. I'm going to put Dr. Dave's handles. I highly suggest following him. I have followed him for years. I love following Dr. Dave. He's funny, brings a lot of facts. It's just very interesting. Thank you again, Dr. Dave, for your time today. My pleasure. Thank you. Again, we want to thank the American College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology for sponsoring this week's Facts Roundtable podcast. Thank you for listening to Facts Roundtable podcast. Stay tuned for future episodes coming soon. Please subscribe, leave a review, and listen to our podcast on Pandora, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. 
Have a great day and always be kind to one another.